Hi, welcome to our podcast. To learn more about Liverpool One Church, join us live, give financially and to get involved, head to liverpoolonechurch.com. We believe God wants to do great things in and through your life today. Enjoy this message. Well, I don't know about you, church, but I was having a party for one in the wings right there. I tell you now, this place is alive before the off, before a word has even been spoken. Go ahead and take your seats. It is great to be here. It's great to have you all in the house today. For those of you watching online, it's great that you can tune in and join with us also. And I get the honour and the privilege of opening the Word of God to you today. And you know, it is not something that Luke or I take lightly. It is a privilege that we come to get to speak some life-giving words into you because we believe that our God is a God of hope. We believe that His Word is true. And we believe that it is everlasting and life-changing. And what I love about preaching the Word of God the most is that God can take one word, one thought, one concept for many to hear and yet He will land it in your heart wherever your life finds you today. So if you're in church for the first time and you're like, I'm not sure and I don't know about the Bible, I want you to, don't you worry about it because God is going to speak to you today exactly where your life finds you. And so last week, we began this new series called The Blessing of Being Stuck. And as I've sat down to write this week, I've been thinking along that concept and I was beginning to think, you know, the word stuck, it's quite a negative word. The word stuck to us, it means um, immovable, like we're stuck, we can't move, we can't get past it, we're contained, we're, we are captured, it is, it is a problem. And I began to think about this thought, how could there ever be a blessing in a place where you find that you are stuck. And then I remembered what it was like to raise small children. And any of you who are currently in the season of raising small children will totally get what I'm about to say to you right now. And that is, I remember that as an adult, you had to make decisions for the toddler because you could see the greater good. They could not. So you would put them in their cot for a nap and they would create a fuss and they would want to get out, but you knew that their little body needed rest. And so you let them cry until they went to sleep. Or have you ever had the toddler that you have tried to get in the car seat and they go rigid? Like a big stiff butt, like you are not going to strap me into this thing. You are not going to hold me. And I'm like, I will punch you in the belly if I have to, but you will go in the car seat. And you as the adult, you understand this is for your greater good. That actually what I'm doing for you now, I want to contain you because it's going to save you and protect you for the journey ahead. Or maybe when you take them to preschool and they don't want to go into preschool and they're crying and creating a fuss at the gate, but you understand that in this season of your life, this is going to bring you on. This is going to edify you. This is going to teach you life skills. And so I'm going to let you go through this, even though you don't want to. I know that it is for your greater good. You understand as, a, as a, an adult that there is a blessing because you are going to be better 
off for it in the long run. And I began to think about times in my life where I felt stuck. And sometimes for me, it's stuck in my faith life. Let's be honest, it's stuck in my Christian walk with God. Sometimes I've felt over the years like nothing is happening, nothing is changing. Sometimes I've even questioned, God, where are you? Why do I feel trapped? And yet in reflection, I can now see that what I thought was isolation was actually God had me in a place of preparation. That actually he was doing something that I disliked but it was always for my greater good. When I thought that he was ignoring me, God was in fact growing me. So I don't know if you have ever felt at a place in your life where God is ignoring you. Like I'm praying my prayers, I'm reading my Bible, I come to church and nothing seems to be changing. I am just not progressing. I don't feel like God even hears me. I doesn't, don't even know if God knows that I exist, but I just feel stuck. But if this is you, I want to encourage you and say that biblical history is full of characters and leaders who at times felt abandoned by God. God had abandoned them, but he had not. And I want to encourage you in this, at the outset of this message, that you have not been forgotten, that you have not been abandoned, that you have not been put on a shelf to gather dust because God is not a time waster because he's the creator of time and he knows how valuable time is, but rather he has not forgotten about you, neither has he abandoned you or anything like that, but rather he's not punishing you, but rather he is positioning you and preparing you for some something in your future. He's a good father. And because he's a good father, he is at times going to put you in the car seat and let you cry. Because he understands that though you don't like it for this short time, over time, this is going to benefit you. And over time, this is going to grow something in you. And over time, this will bless you. So I want to talk to you around this principle today, that when God is at work in your life, He often works in a pattern of three, three stages, the promise, the preparation, and the promotion. And you will find back, if you're a a well-seasoned Christian in here today, you've done life with God for many years, you'll be able to look back in your life and identify this. And if you're at the beginning of your journey, then then I want you to take heart in what I'm going to speak about today, because this is a principle, a pattern in the way that God works. So first, He'll give you the promise. And the promise excites you, because the promise is a glimpse into your future. So the promise, the Word of God tells us that God gives us the desires of our heart. That actually means that God puts the desire in your heart for you to start praying on. So you start praying into something in your future. For example, maybe you're single and you're praying for a marriage partner. That's the right thing to put on. But when you're praying for the marriage partner, you begin to imagine what life will look like one day when you are married. If you're a girl, you're like, I wonder what it's like to wake up snuggled up to someone in bed. And if you're a guy, you're like, I wonder what it's It's like to have somebody else pick my pants up off the floor. Life's going to be so good. And you imagine what it's going to be like when you get there. And um, 
And so, so the promise is always the thing, the dream, the desire that God drops in your heart. Maybe you're imagining what it's going to be one day when you're debt free. Maybe one day when you get the good health report. Maybe one day when your kids have grown up. What will life be like then? And, um, and so that's what the promise looks like. It's kind of like having a dinner party or, or, or say I'm having a dinner party and I've invited friends over for dinner. I then begin to imagine what I'm going to cook for them, how I'm going to set the table, what the room's going to look like. I've gone there in my head. That's what the promise looks like. The promise always excites you because it's a glimpse into the future of, of what might be and what could be and possibilities. But before you get to the promotion, which is the fulfilment of the promise, there's a place in the middle called preparation. And no one likes the place called preparation. Preparation is what people don't, other people don't see. Preparation is that part that puts you through your worst and brings out the worst in you also. Preparation, the time you put into your preparation, will determine how the next few years play out in your life. Nothing just happens without preparation. So I've dreamt about the dinner party and I've imagined what it's going to look like. But before I get there, I've got to do some preparation. And the preparation looks like plastic bags and paper bags and wrappers all over the place. It looks like vegetables that need washing and peeling and chopping. And often more food ends up on the floor than it is on the worktop. It's a sink full of dirty dishes. The kids are fighting and the dog's barking. And if it's my house, what's in the oven is usually burning. So the preparation looks nothing like the promise. It looks nothing like what I imagined it would look like. The preparation looks chaotic. And often when God has given you a promise in your life, whatever that might be that you are holding on to when you are praying and glimpsing into the future, you've got to go through the preparation period first. But the preparation period often looks nothing like the promise that you carried in your heart. But when you've gone through the preparation period, then you land in the promotion. And the promotion's when the dream becomes a reality. The table is set, the candles are lit, the music's on, the guests arrive, and they are enjoying your cooking and talking about the peaceful atmosphere in your home. And you are lapping up every compliment because you know what you've gone through to get to this point. And so this is what the promotion looks like. It's the answered prayer. No one knows what you go through before you get your answer to prayer. It's when you get the good health report and you're living in it. It's when the marriage is a blessed marriage. It is when you've got the job that you've been longing for. It's when you've got the promotion. It's when you find financial freedom. This is what it looks like. But it didn't just come through prayer alone. It came because you persisted through the season of preparation. Because before it all fell into place, it nearly all fell apart. And before there was ever a breakthrough, you went through a breakdown. And before God ever answered you, He was silent for what felt like a long period of time. You, but you didn't quit. You held on to your faith. You just kept going because you truly believed there will come a day when God will pick me up and promote my life. 
I want to take you to a well-known character in the Bible. You hear his life preached about many a times. But his story so brilliantly paints a picture of these three stages when God is at work in your life. The stages of promise and preparation and promotion. And it is the story of Joseph and it's found in Genesis 37. And I'm not going to read it for time's sake, but I am going to ad lib the story to you. But I encourage you, if you feel in that place today where God is not answering my prayer, or maybe he's forgotten about me, can I encourage you to go home and read this story for yourself. So Joseph, he's the 11th of the 12 sons of Jacob. And Jacob was a God-honoring, God-fearing man and had raised his family well. Joseph is 17 years old when we pick him up in this story. And one night, Joseph has a dream. Now, Joseph's other brothers already had a bias down on him because Joseph was his father's favorite child and he would often gloat about this. So we know he's got a bit of pride in his character already. But one night he has this dream and he dreams that he's out in the field with his 11 brothers and they're gathering up bundles of hay, bundles of grain. And he says in this dream, his bundle stood up straight and all the other 11 bundles bowed down and worshipped him. The next night he has another dream. He sees the, the sun and the moon and 11 stars and all of the 11 stars bow down and pay reverence and homage to him. And when he awoke, he knew that the 11 represented his brothers. And, and he knew that the 11 represented his brothers. And he knew that this was a dream from God. And he knew that it was a promise, a glimpse into his future, something that God was about to do in his life. But your interpretation chooses your preparation. Okay? He's had the promise. But your interpretation chooses your preparation. And Joseph interpreted incorrectly. He thought this meant God was going to make him head of the family. And he did no more than rush out to tell his brothers straight away. Because immaturity thinks because God has said it today, it must be about to happen tomorrow. Okay. Immaturity says that I need to run around and tell everybody what God has just dropped into my spirit. I need to tell everybody what I'm praying for and believing for before anything ever happens. And you know, when we have no wisdom on our life, we do exactly the same thing. We get excited and we get prideful about a plan or an idea that hasn't even come into place. And we're not shouting about how great our God is. We're shouting about how great I am. And now, you know, I've done decades of life around churches and I have heard so many churches shouting about revival, shouting about the plan for the city, shouting about a vision that they have. And all it does is put people off and push people further away. And this is exactly what happened to, uh, to Joseph. He ran out to tell his brothers, hey, guess what? Had a dream, had a vision. You all bow down and worship me. And the Word of God says that his brothers hated him even more. And so now God's got to do some preparation because Joseph needs to mature. 
Not in years. Don't think for a moment that God can't use you when you're 17 years old. Oh, yes, he can. He didn't need to mature in years. But over the years, God had to put Joseph's character to the test. Now, we hate that word test, right? Because we have such a negative connotation when we think of the word test. But I tell you what, when I board a plane to get a flight, I'm so glad the pilot passed his test. Like, I'm not like worried about the word test when I get on a plane. I'm so glad that we have to pass a test before you can get on the roads behind the wheel of a car. Could you imagine the carnage on our road if you did not have to pass a test? But here's the thing. The test certificate says that you have maturity to take responsibility. Okay? So when God's putting your life to a test, it's because there's something greater in your future that you might not be aware of right now. But God says, I need to put you through the test because I need to see that you have maturity to handle the responsibility that I want to bring about in you. So he's not putting you through a test to punish you. Are we all agreed on that? He's not putting you through a test to punish you. He's putting you through a test to promote you. So Joseph's had a promise and now he's in a place of preparation. And it's during this time of preparation that most of us feel stuck. It's during the time of preparation that we feel like God's forgotten me. God's abandoned me. In fact, it's during the time of preparation that some people even walk away from their faith. But over the next decade, we see Joseph um, thrown into a pit by the brothers who disliked him, sold into slavery to the Egyptians. We see him wrongly accused of rape, thrown into prison and forgotten about for 10 years. Do we all still want to be tested to be promoted? Forgotten about for 10 years. I don't know how Joseph felt because the Bible doesn't tell me what he was feeling. But I know that if that was me, I'd have been putting the whole dream experience down to too much cheese the night before. I would have been saying, oh, I thought I had a vision for my life. How wrong was I? I thought God had a plan for me, but God, he's forgotten about me. God, like I haven't heard from God in such a long time. I thought God loved me, but I don't feel it. I thought I was saved, but you know what? I'm, I'm actually, I'm not sure anymore. And I don't know if you've ever felt that way. But the period of preparation can look nothing like um, the, the promise that you imagined. Joseph had a promise that he was raised up, lifted up, elevated Everyone was going to worship him. Yet he's in this season of preparation where he's as low as life could possibly take him. Joseph became a servant in the household of Potiphar, who was an Egyptian commander. He was a commander in the Egyptian army. And Joseph got on quite well in Potiphar's house. He became head of the servants and all that was going on within the household. But there was this problem. There was this woman It was Potiphar's wife, and she got the hots for Joseph, big time. And every single day, this is what the Word of God says, every day she came to him and persisted and insisted that that he would sleep with her. 
Every single day she's coming to him. Her hair's done. Her face is done. Her heels are on. She's looking the part. Every single day she's coming to him. But no matter how much and how great the temptation was, Joseph resists her and refuses to sleep with her. And you know what I love? There was no pastor present. There was no life group leader. There was no accountability partner nearby. There was nobody watching him. Nobody observing him. There was no one he had to press, impress. And still, he's obeying God. Still, he's obeying God. Let me tell you what most of us would have done. We would have justified our situation. I know I would have justified the situation and I'm sure you would too. I'd have been like, well, my family have abandoned me. God is nowhere to be seen. He's never answered my prayers, not once. There's no church nearby. No one's texted me. No one's been in touch with me. So now I'm going to do my own thing. I'm just going to go with what I feel like doing because I've tried it God's way. I've done the Christian thing and it didn't work out for me. So now I'm going to do what I feel. We think we're punishing God when we do that. But actually, all we're doing is taking ourselves even further away from the promise. Because let me tell you, we've all got the equivalent of Potiphar's wife in our life. We've all got the person, someone who's going to stroke your ego and make you feel good about, her, about yourself. Potiphar's wife, she'll have been flattering Joseph, telling him how handsome he is, how good looking he is. And we've all got that, the voice that flatters you, the person who strokes your ego, something and someone to tempt you away from your faith. There's always a way of life that looks better than the one you've got now. There's always that coated candy pleasure. There's always that thing that a appears so attractional to you. It's the car you can't afford. It's just an affair. It's the illicit website that you shouldn't be looking at. It's just the night out with the lads that goes a step too far. It's just that. It's just that. Because there's no one around to see anyway. But I love that Joseph did this, even when there was no one around. Because can I tell you, it's really easy to obey God when you're in church with like-minded people and the band are playing your favourite worship song and the tears are flowing and there's just a sweet presence of His Holy Spirit here, it's easy to obey God then. But what about when the bad health report comes? What about when your marriage is in shreds? What about when you're the one who's been gossiped about and your kid's still throwing up at midnight? Can you still declare that He is a good and faithful God even when life feels at its worst for you? So Joseph, here he is in Egypt, no pastor, no church around him, no friends. And this woman caught, keeps coming and asking him to sleep with her. And one day she comes to him and she says to him, there's no one in the house, Joseph. I mean, she's probably working it a bit, you know, the heels are on and the dress and the split and there's no one in the house, Joseph. Come on, no one will ever know just once. And I love what it says, because this man does exactly what the word of God tells him to do and he flees sexual immorality. And while he's running away from her presence, she grabs hold of his cloak and she pulls it off his back. And uh, because she's got his cloak now in her hand and he's ran off, she screams rape. And Joseph is wrongly accused of rape and thrown into a dungeon and locked up. 
And let me tell you, the Egyptian prisons, they're nothing like what the prisons over here in the UK would look like. The Egyptian prisons over there, Middle Eastern prisons, they were like hewn out cisterns. They were damp and they were dark. There was no light. There was no windows. It really was hell on earth. There were shackles around your ankles. Some of the dungeons were only about four foot high, so you couldn't even stand upright in them. This is the place where Joseph was now put into. I thought God had made me a promise. What is going on? And Joseph finds himself in this place and they, they feed them what's called the bread of affliction, which means we don't want you to die because that's an easy way out. So we'll just give you just enough bread just to keep you alive, just so you can keep on suffering. And if life hadn't got bad enough and you didn't think it could possibly get any worse, God creates the ultimate test for Joseph's character. Because when he's in the dungeon, he finds out there's two other men in the dungeon from the household also. There was the baker, he was in the dungeon, and there was the butler, he was also in the dungeon. We don't know why they were also imprisoned, but maybe Potiphar's wife had tried it on with half the staff, I don't know. But they were also in the prison. And one night, separately, they both have significant dreams. And Joseph hears them talking about their dream. This is whilst they're in the dungeon. And God allows Joseph to be tested again. Can he talk to them about their dreams and proclaim the faithfulness of God when he has not seen one shred of evidence of the faithfulness of God in his life regarding his dream? Because let me tell you, when God is preparing you for something greater, (laughs) when God is preparing you for something greater, he'll often ask you to speak into a situation or be present in a problem that is painful to you. I know what I would have done if I was Joseph. I'd have gone, dreams don't come true, by the way. I had one once many years ago and it never came true. I'd have told them to forget about it. But when God is preparing your character, He will give you the opportunity to speak life and hope into someone else's situation. Even when it feels hopeless yourself, God will ask you, even when you feel trapped and when you feel stuck, He'll ask you to pray for someone else's healing when you're still waiting test results and you don't know how it's going to end up for you. He'll ask you to pray for someone else to pass their exams when you've just failed yours. He'll ask you to celebrate somebody else's pregnancy when you're struggling to conceive yourself. This is what our God does, not because He's forgotten you, but because He's preparing you for something greater in your life. So Joseph interprets the dreams, and I'm not going to go there, but he obeys God yet again. When there's no one to impress, no one watching him, he continues to obey God. The butler and the baker are released from prison. And you know what? They forgot about him. They just forgot. And the Bible tells us that two years later, we're now into Genesis 42. Two years later, it says that the king of Egypt, the pharaoh, had a very significant dream. And he pulls his sorcerers and his advisors around him to interpret his dream and no one could. And all of a sudden, the butler goes, ah, I remember when I was in prison, there was a Hebrew guy and he can interpret dreams because he believes the dreams come from God. So Joseph is brought out and he stood before Pharaoh. 
And he interprets Pharaoh's dream, which was a prophecy over the next 14 years of what was going to happen in the land of Egypt. And he prophesied into the, and he said about the dream, he said, Pharaoh, your dream means there's going to be seven years of plenty on the land where the rain's going to come and the crops are going to grow. And then there's going to be seven years of famine and drought. And then he gives the Pharaoh some advice. He says, what I recommend you do is that in the seven years of plenty, you store up the grain and the food in the barns so that when the seven years of famine come, you've got enough food to feed the people. And Pharaoh is so impressed with Joseph's interpretation of the dream that right there and then, he promotes him to prime minister of Israel. He becomes the king's right-hand man. Now, the seven years of plenty pass, and we're now in the seven years of famine. You remember the 11 brothers in Israel who had thrown Joseph in a pit and sold him onto slavery? Well, they make a journey from Israel to Egypt because they have heard in the famine that Egypt have grain in their barns. So they are coming to Egypt now to see if they can buy food. And I'm going to read this bit for you. In verse 6, it says, Since Joseph was governor of all Egypt and in charge of selling grain to all people, it was him, it was to him that his brothers came. When they arrived, they bowed before him with their faces to the ground. And although Joseph recognised his brothers, they did not recognise him. But he remembered the dreams he'd had about them many years before. Let me tell you what that word remembers, the, the root word to that word remembered in this context. It doesn't mean that he just had this, oh, this like light on moment. Oh yeah, they're my brothers. I remember this dream I once had. It actually means that he kept the dream before him the whole time. It, he, Joseph is now 39 years old, 22 years since he's had a promise from God, but he remembered the dream. It means it kept him before him the whole time. What was Joseph saying? If, if I'm not dead, then God's not done. There is more to come. He made a promise on my life and though I don't see it and though I don't feel it, I believe leave. I'm going to keep the promise before me because that's giving me hope. I'm going to keep the promise before me because that's the vision for my future. And I know it doesn't look like it right now, but I wholeheartedly believe that my God will come through for me. And so when Joseph said he remembered the dream he had, he was bringing to recollection, he was a realisation, this it's the fulfilment of the promise that you made to me, God, 22 years ago. You are a faithful God. And his maturity now understood that his elevation was for a greater purpose because it was to bring reconciliation. He now understood that his promotion was not about making his name great, but it was about making the name of God great through his life. And he understood that. And I was praying this week and I really felt that God was showing me just, just in my heart, just what I was sensing was that some of you are in a season of preparation right now and it looks nothing like the promise that you thought 
You dreamt what a marriage should look like and yours looks nothing like it. You dreamt about the kids you would one day have and now they're grown and they're not even speaking to you anymore. You dreamt about how life would pan out and as you hit 35 and 40, 50, you're aware that life is running away with you and I have not seen the fullness and the goodness of God on my life like I once thought that I have. I want you to hear this. All throughout that story of Joseph, these words keep on getting repeated. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him his faithful love. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him his faithful love. You see, here's the thing. Joseph couldn't perceive where God was. Joseph couldn't feel God. Joseph couldn't see God. But God knew exactly where Joseph was. And God continued to show Joseph his faithful love. Let me tell you what that looks like. In 1987, there was a story that hit the news headlines and it was about a little girl, 18 months old, out in Texas and she had fallen down a well in the backyard of her auntie's house. Now the well was uncovered, it was undiscovered, it was only eight inches in diameter and this 18-month-old toddler fell 22 feet and she got stuck part way down, one leg in the air, the other leg facing down. And when it was discovered that she had fallen down the well, I kid you not, the world came to a standstill. CNN were the first people on the scene to report it and they were the first media that, that ever went 24-7 with news broadcasting. We'd never had 24-7 news then. We didn't have internet and social media. So the world came to a standstill. If you were in a coffee shop or a cafe or a home, you had the news on, you were watching as CNN filmed what was happening with this child lodged 22 foot down a well. And what they did back in the day when there wasn't the technology that we have today, they lowered a microphone down on a wire so that they could hear her movements and they could hear, was she alive? Was she dead? Was she crying? What was happening? And they lowered this microphone down and they could hear these muffled sounds. And she was groaning and she was moaning and then she'd have a little cry. What Jessica didn't know when she was stuck down the well is that her mama was hanging over the top of the well. And then came this scene, and I'll never forget it, then came this scene when Jessica started singing, Winnie the Pooh, Winnie the Pooh. And her mum said, she's remembering me because that's what I would sing over her all of the time, Winnie the Pooh. So as Jessica is stuck in the well and she's singing, Winnie the Pooh, Winnie the Pooh, her mom is at the top of the well going, chubby little cubby all stuffed with fluff. Jessica couldn't see her mom and she couldn't hear her mom. All Jessica knew was she was trapped and she was in pain, but she kept singing. I don't know where life finds you today. Maybe you are stuck 
Maybe life has felt stagnant for so long. Maybe you've just got one word, one chorus, one song that just keeps you going every single day. Maybe yours is something like, this is how I fight my battles. And you're desperate and it's not changing. This is how I fight my battles. I want you to tell you today that God is leaning over the balconies of heaven and He is saying, it may look like you're surrounded, but you're surrounded by me. And God wants you to know that though you can't hear His voice, He hears your voice and He's singing in tune with you today. And He's going, that's my kid, that's my kid. And I'm working day and night to bring you through this season. Because what Jessica didn't know when she was stuck in the well, was down the side of the well, right alongside her. They were drilling and burrowing right the way down. They went down 26 feet. And do you know what they did? They came from underneath her and they put a blockage there so she couldn't fall any further. Jessica was in pain. She's in the dark and she feels alone. She doesn't know that her mama is singing over her, that the rescue team are alongside her and that she's being upheld from the underneath because she's in the dark. But her mum knew where she was all of the time. And I want to encourage you, Liverpool One Church, as we bring this whole thing to a close, that though you feel stuck, God knows where you are. And as he said to Joseph, the Lord was with Joseph and then showed him his faithful love. Let me tell you, faithful love, it's not stroking you and patting you and saying they're there to you. Faithful love gives you the tenacity to hold on, the steadfastness to say, I'm not gonna give up, to keep the dream before you. I will believe that my God is gonna find me, that my God is gonna rescue me, that my God is gonna pick me up and He's gonna pull me out of this place, that I will live in the days of my promotion. Church, let's stand in here this morning. Stuck is not a nice place. Feeling like you're the one that's been left out. Feeling like you're the one that God's forgotten. Looking to the left and the right and seeing everybody else's miracle, everybody else's answer, and everybody else's beautiful family. And you're just like, what about me? What about my turn? What about the dreams I had as a young girl? When did it all begin to go so wrong? But I want you to take heart today and I want to encourage you because what you might perceive as being attacked from the enemy might just be God putting you through your preparation, testing your character, seeing if you will hold steadfast onto the promise that He once dropped in your life, seeing if you will do the right thing by His Word when there's nobody around watching you and there's nobody to impress. He wants to grow you because He has much that He wants to hang on you in your future. So if I may, I just wanna pray for each of you before we leave this place, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, Heavenly Father, I thank You, God, that Your Word is faithful and true. 
that you are a God who doesn't forget us and a God who doesn't abandon us. But God, that your everlasting, most faithful love has its eyes upon us at all times. That God, when we feel like we are suspended in nothingness, Lord God, that when we are trapped and we are at a stalemate in life, oh God, we cannot see that you are underneath us, making sure that we don't slip any further than you allow. That God, that we cannot see that there is, that, that you have a rescue plan in place for us. But I pray, Lord God, that we will continue to lift our voice to you that we will continue to sing our one song and hold on to our one scripture and have the faith that there will come a day where my God will pick me up and promote my life. And God, we don't understand times and we don't understand seasons because you live outside of time. But we know, Father God, that everything you do in our life is in your perfect time. So I pray for everyone who feels frustrated and everybody who feels like just quitting and just walking away from it all. My God, I pray that you will find them a song in their spirit, Lord God, to root them and to anchor them, that they will keep the vision before their eyes and hold on in full knowledge that my God will come through for me. And we pray all of this under the power of your precious Son, Jesus Christ, who gave His life for all so that no one is ever left out or forgotten. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you can take that message and apply it to your life. Also, don't forget to take a moment to subscribe, rate and review this podcast. To get connected or stay more connected to the life of Liverpool One Church and learn how you can join us live, visit liverpoolonechurch.com. Thanks again for joining us and we hope to see you again soon.